And as we finish up the book of Romans, the book of Romans is all about Jesus Christ, our righteousness, and that there is a work to be done. And so I'm going to share today on um, the book, the last chapter of the book of Romans today. And um, I'm going to talk about the work or the mission uh, that God has called us to. Uh, the mission uh, is possible, not mission impossible like the show uh, whenever I was in school. I loved that, uh, that show, Mission Impossible. But we have a mission that's possible. Can I have an amen on that? And that we are called to this mission. And so there is much work to do. And so as we've went through the book of Romans, um, there, is, there were four sections of Romans. The first three chapters talked about how righteous was, righteousness is needed and that we all deserve the wrath and punishment of God because we have all sinned. And then the th chapters 3 through 8 was about righteousness provided, that we are justified and made righteous through faith in Christ. And sin has been dealt with. There's no condemnation, and we all partied about that. No condemnation or punishment for the believer. Aren't you glad? And so righteousness has been provided for us. And then verses, or chapters 11, 9 through 11 went through righteousness is vindicated and how the Gentiles receive salvation, but God's redemption is for Israel as well. And God's mission of salvation is for all. And then the last several chapters, 12 through 15, how righteousness needs to be practiced by us and the way of righteous living and how to re relationally walk in love and power as God's people and fulfilling the mission that God has called us to. So this ends chapter, the, the Romans 16 is where we're going to go today. We have a new reading plan, by the way, that is out on the Welcome Center. We're going to start with, uh, on, with uh, 1 Timothy. And so if you want to grab a new reading plan, that starts this next week. It is out on the Welcome Center. Jeff Hughes made copies for us, and you can grab that, and we'll also make sure that we put it on our group page. That way you have the reading plan and the memory verse and all that kind of stuff. But today what I want to do, I want to get into it right away because i got a lot, of, a lot of stuff to cover, and you're going to be a little perplexed probably today on what, what I teach on because um, I promise you I didn't pick probably anything that you did for your here journal. Uh, this week out of Romans 16, because uh, I'm going to do the first 16 verses of Romans today, and I really think we'll learn a lot about Paul, but also the people that he greets in this letter. And in, 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 in the way the, the Bible is written many times, the salutations or the, the things are at the, the back of the letter. The way we do letters is, hey, this is Eric, and I'm sending you a letter. Love you. God bless you. Have a good day. And we end the letter. And at the end of this letter, we go through this long list of, of people that I want to talk about today. Because in my study over the last couple of weeks, God has been tenderizing my heart. And he's been doing a work in my heart of how much farther... Or, where we got to move as a church and, and how, how, um, um, how we've got to get back on mission, if, if I might say. And so I pray this blesses you today, but let's read it together. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And so 
Phoebe is actually delivering this, this letter to Rome, okay? So that's how this, this ends on this chapter. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Phoebe. But it's just important for you to realize that Phoebe, a woman who is a deacon at this church in Corinth area, is actually now taking this letter that Paul has written, and he's, she is now hand-delivering this letter to the leadership in the church in Rome. And she is going to be traveling from Corinth all the way to Rome, which is about 1,400 air miles, okay? And I'll show you on the map here in a little bit. So anyway, we're going to keep going. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas. And I'm going to butch these names. I looked up how to say them, but I'm not going to remember. Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, Aristobulus. Yeah, you know, how's nobody knows no, nobody's naming their kid that these days? <laughs> Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. That's the first narcissistic person listed in the Bible. No, no, I'm just kidding. Narcissus, who was who, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> you can almost make a rap song. Tryphosa, Tryphosa. Those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Everybody say Rufus. Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. Now, I will give you a little thing. I don't say this later, but Rufus was a really pretty cool dude. I mean, if you go into history, um, he is actually the brother of Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus. So just, just a little information. So he was actually the brother of the guy that carried the cross for Christ. So he, he, he believes in Jesus. Isn't this pretty cool? Chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet, oh, Asnecritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brother, brothers, and sisters with them. None of you did a hear journal on this, did you, right? <laughs> Greet Philologobus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them, greet one another with the Holy Christ. Everybody say, praise the Lord, that's done. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking, you're going, how is Eric going to preach a message on that, those verses right there, right? Um, and I'm going to, you're going to find out today that uh, we're going to learn a lot about Paul, and we're going to learn a lot about these people, because there are 27 individuals plus people in their house churches, because he says, and greet the people who are with them. And so he, he, he lists these 27 people by name, and, and there's quite a few other people. And I, I'm going to draw some conclusions from this list as I've studied it. And, uh, but these people are in Rome, and he is greeting these people warmly in his letter to the church. And I, I, I want to remind us of what's going on because this is about the work. Everybody say the work. The work. And so we got to remember 
all these disciples, they get born again in Jerusalem, and they are now spreading the gospel all over the known world. Jerusalem is here. I do not have a pointer on this. This is why I'm going to the screen. Sorry for you folks online, you're not seeing this. But the gospel started here. But when Paul is writing this letter, he is in Corinth, and he wants to go to Rome. This is 1,400 nautical miles here. And so if you can imagine, Phoebe is going to go from here all the way over to Rome, or she's going to sail through here and go to Rome, however she does it, whether she sails or whether, I know she's not going to fly by plane. What do you think about that? We know that. And so we have this huge area that the gospel is going out from, and this whole region is being radically changed by the mission of evangelism in this region. And so I really want you, I mean, this is a large area. And remember, I showed a couple of weeks ago how the Roman Empire included everything from Spain all the way around the island, all the way through Cyrene, Egypt, all the way through the northern part of Africa. Rome controlled this whole area. And I just think about how God, you know, when, when Jesus came on the scene, how they really thought he was going to take up an earthly kingdom and he was going to be a king where by force and sword he would take over the area. But literally, Jesus is taking over the known world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is radically going all over this Mediterranean area. And God is moving. And so Paul is addressing these new people, not new people, these people in Rome with this. And I just want to remind us, Paul has never been to Rome, remember? Paul's never been there. But do you notice how many people he knows in Rome? He's greeting all these people, these 27 people. He is greeting them from Corinth in his letter and to Rome. And he's saying, I'm going to come see you when I get to Spain. I'm going to pass through Rome. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work to help bring converts and help, help bring salvation to the region as well. But I just want you to remember, Paul's not been there yet. But look how many people he knows that is in Rome. Are you, are you, are you seeing this? He knows a lot of people. And how does he know them if he's not been to Rome? How does he know them if he's not been to Rome? All these people have migrated from Greece. They've migrated from Jerusalem. They've, they've migrated from Asia Minor. They have all migrated to Rome. And they are all in Rome, and Paul is sending this letter to them. Many of them he personally had led to the Lord, but I want you to realize Paul loves these people dearly, and you can see it in his salutations and what he says to them. And he greets them in his letter because these are his friends and they are his co-workers in the mission at Rome. And he even knows their families. Did you notice that? But here's the, I'm going to re-say the, the terms. These, here, listen to the terms of endearment that he uses. Greet my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. They were in prison with me. All the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet my friend. Greet my beloved. Greet my fellow Jews. Greet the women who work so hard in the Lord. And yes, greet this one. She has been a mother to me, Paul says. Do you see the relationship 
Paul has with these people. So if you're taking notes today, and I hope you do, I'm going to make four points today that I think we have got to bring into our own hearts and really get a revelation of of what we need to model from the Word of God. Are you with me? And so point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. They were relationally on mission. This was a family of friends and co-workers dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were on mission to evangelize the world. Everybody say evangelize the world. They were on mission. Go ahead and say it with me. They were on mission. And they were committed relationally because of the work. They were all in. Going to church did not unify them. Enjoying our nice worship service and our nice worship here is not what unified them, although we love our worship experience. That's not what was unifying them. They were unified around a common mission. And the mission of Jesus to evangelize the world was what unified them. And so I want to challenge us. They were, on, they, were on, they were relationally on mission. And they lived an undivided heart. Their time, their talents, their money, it was all focused on the evangelization of Rome and the world. And so my question to us, and here's where I was even convicted as I was preparing this, is are we relationally on mission together? Are you on mission? You guys are quiet this morning. I know there's a small crowd, but... Our mission of going and making disciples of all people, raising up radical, passionate lovers of God, teaching them to obey Jesus. We've had mission drift. And God is convicting me about how we've been drifting off of our mission. And our mission should be compelling, and our mission is what should tie us all together. Can I have an amen on that? In America, the church has become consumer-focused and has become focused on how does the church make me feel? Do I like it? Does it meet my needs? Do they have good worship? Do they have good children's ministry? Do they have good small groups? Do they have fun things and activities for my children? But that's not what the first church had as its mission. church is not for me. The church is for the kingdom of God and evangelizing our region for the glory of Christ. Can I have an amen on that? 
And I hope today as we talk about we have to be relationally on mission, we have got to have close relationships here. And our close relationships have got to be focused on the mission of what Christ wanted. And I'm going to point out here as we go through these names, we're going to find today that they were relationally committed, but they were so about the kingdom of heaven coming to the earth and Jesus uh, and, and evangelizing the whole, whole region. And so Paul really describes what it looks like to be on mission. And so you're going to get to find out today if you're on mission or if you're a part of it because Paul described it just here. He said, if you're on mission, you're a co-worker in the gospel, evangelizing lost in our community, whether that's at work, school, or on the streets. We have got to be co-workers in evangelizing our community. We must be risking our life for the gospel and for others. We have to be good friends and connected relationally and devoted and beloved with each other. Are you working hard in the Lord among us? Are you being a spiritual mother and papa, or which would be discipling? Are you meeting others' needs with food or making meals? How about having a house church in your home and inviting people into it? How, when's the last time we invited somebody over to our home? Maybe even that we don't know. And who are, we are to be relationally on mission together. And so Paul, I want us to, and I, so I pulled from this whole thing as I, I looked at Paul's relationships and he was sending this greeting to them. I'm going, wow, these guys knew each other. Paul was so focused in his relationships. And, and, and Paul, or as Tom mentioned last week or week before about Paul was kind of a short guy and maybe not that great to look at, but well, he was dearly loved and beloved. And he was followed. He was likable. <laughs> and so point two that I want to make is that they were team players. Paul was not a one-man rule kind of guy. He did everything with a team. He had a team around him everywhere he went. He had spiritual sons that he was constantly discipling and taking them on mission with him. And he had deep relationships and friendships. He was so devoted. So point one and point two are very, very closely related. They were relationally on mission, but also there was an aspect of team ministry that Paul and those people were involved in. And so how well do you play team? Is there anybody in your circle of influence? Is there any friends that you have within this church that you're willing to go on mission with? <laughs> because Paul had a team around him, and he never ministered alone. He always was a servant leader focused on the mission with others. And so my question to you today is, are you a team player or are you a lone ranger? Or are you even in the game? Are you a team player, lone ranger, or even in the game? And I, can, and I see that even as a church and as a people, we've gotten off of, on mission drift. And, and we've gotten out of focus about what we're called to. And so it, it gets quiet in here because all of us have room to grow. Can I have an amen on that? I need to grow in this area. Sam and I, to, uh, last, last Saturday, we went out evangelizing on the streets together. And it's amazing when Ta Sam and I got done, I said, Sam, I said, you and I have been in this for 30 years, dude. We have been co-laborers in the Lord. We have been, I said, why is it still so awkward to talk to people about Jesus on the streets? Why is it so awkward? Will anybody admit it's awkward? Yeah. It's hard to go up to a stranger and say, can I pray for you? 
But I tell you what, as Karen and I have went out, and, and I went out with Sam, we have prayed for a lady who was going to have surgery on a rotator cuff. We have prayed for two women who were pregnant, and one was scared that she was going to lose the baby. They let us lay hands on them. They let us pray for them. We declared a blessing over them, the, 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 and, and God just moved on those people. Just right there. I mean, the best place for Karen and I to go minister is JT on, JT's on Broad Street. That little pantry up there. We go up there, and man, I tell you what, we have revival up there. We had, we had what, what, four people we prayed for in that place? In a matter of an hour, we were there. But we got to be team players, and we got to go out two by two, three by three, or we got to do some other stuff, but I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. But Paul had over 27 people he was deeply connected to in team ministry. To accomplish our mission, we must be good team players, and we must be friends. It really would help if we liked each other, wouldn't it? Getting a little warm up here. Sorry about this. Keep that right there. I believe this is one of the reasons that Paul spent so much time in Romans talking about the righteousness walked out by, our, by, by us. When he talked about loving and honoring each other, I promise you Paul had conflict. We know he had conflict with John Mark. We know there were other conflicts with Peter. We know that the disciples had conflict. And we will have conflict in our relationships, but love must reign supreme. Paul spent a lot of time on how we're to love one another, honor each other above ourselves. You're going to have conflicts with the way people do things. Can I have an amen? But love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love keeps no record of wrong. Oh, goodness gracious, has anybody got a tally? <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrong. I remember some of the things Mike's done. I remember some of the things Karen's done. I remember some of the things you've done. Anybody else? We got to get rid of the tallies, right, so that we can work together for the mission. Amen? Okay. You're still with me. I'm stepping on toes. They had conflict too, but the mission unified them. So let's go a little deeper. So let's look into who these 27 people are and what the Bible says about these people who were so close to Paul on mission in Rome. So let's talk about Phoebe for a second. Everybody say Phoebe. Phoebe. It sounds like a pet dog to me. Who was Phoebe? Well, Phoebe... We learn a little bit from the first several verses of, 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 or of Romans 16. We know that she's in the Corinthian area. We know that she is the one carrying the letter to Paul or from Paul to the Roman church. We know that. We know that she is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Uh, and we know, I mean, if you know anything about church history, if you go back to 1 Timothy, we learn what a deacon is. There were elders and overseers, and there were deacons that were part of the leadership of the church. Overseers were like elders, and deacons were those who were carrying out ministry and doing the work of ministry. When, uh, Paul, uh, when uh, Peter 
uh, when they were Paul and they, gosh, getting the names wrong, when they were preaching and they didn't, Paul didn't want to. He said, uh, "Set among us some deacons because we don't want to wait tables because the distribution of food was not happening with widows and orphans." And they set up deacons within the church, and so she was actually a deacon who led in the ministry of helps within that church. And so that's who she was. And he says to commend her as a deacon in the church. She is a woman in leadership in the church, of course. And so he, he shares a little bit about her. And the 27 people being greeted in this chapter. Whoop, what did I do? I got my messed up my notes. Sorry about this. Yep, I'm still on course. So he talks about Phoebe. Sorry, I lost my, my train of thought. Everybody have one of the, ever have a, a brain uh, fart is what we call them. Excuse me for those online. God, Eric, help you. <laughs> but of the 27 people being greeted in this chapter, eight of them are women in some form of leadership, ministry, or serving capacity in the church. There's Junia. She's another woman. And guess what her role is? She is part of an apostolic team with her husband. Everybody hear that? Apostolic team? She was, the Bible says here that she was noted among the apostles. Now, there's some controversy within the theologians whether this meant she was a apostle or that the apostles took note of her. But if you study the language there, it literally is talking about how she was among the apostles. And that'll stir up a lot of controversy in the church today. A lot of controversy. So if you don't like that, come talk to me later. You, she, she also went to prison with, with Paul. If she went to prison, who went to prison? It was the people who were preaching and teaching about Jesus. It wasn't the people serving tables. It was the people who were preaching in they were They were forcing them to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. Those are the ones that were going to jail. She went to jail. She was a Jew, and she died a martyr. Everybody say she died a martyr. martyr. Junia died a martyr. Matter of fact, 90% of these people that I'm talking about right now, they died as martyrs. They gave their life for the gospel. You with me on that? According to church history about Junia, tradition in her, hus- in her husband, Andronicus, they were successful in bringing many to Christ and in demolishing many temples of idolatry. The tradition holds that they were capable of performing miracles by which they drove out demons and healed many of sickness and disease. In the Eastern Orthodox, tra- in the Eastern Orthodox tradition church, currently, they celebrate in their tradition Andronicus and Junia, and they are commemorated by the church on May 17th of every year. And so the Greek Orthodox Church has some tradition that they've passed down through the years, and I'm going to get into some of that tradition today that is extra-biblical text. Some of what I'm going to share today I cannot prove to you, but I think you will see where I go with it, that, that, that the Lord did something with these people powerfully. Priscilla was another woman, and I'm focusing on the women here for a moment, 
because I'm going to make my third point about women, slaves, and people of diversity. Because these people were a diverse group that Paul is writing to based upon their names and based upon their names that are in Roman census history. Rome would record the names of people who were Roman citizens and they would put them in the census and these names are in the Roman census that has been carried down through history. But Priscilla, what do we know about her? We know a lot about Priscilla and Quilla because of Acts chapter 18, because they were in Acts all the time. Priscilla and her husband Aquila appear to be co-pastors in the house church in their home. We know a lot about Priscilla and Aquila due to Acts. She is originally from Rome until Claudius the emperor kicks Jews out of Rome in 49 AD. I'm giving you some history here. Bear with me. When they were kicked out of Rome in 49, they then moved to Corinth. And when they were at Corinth, they were in the synagogue worshiping the Lord there, and they meet Paul in the synagogue. And they get saved through Paul in Corinth. And as they follow Paul where he goes, Paul then goes to Ephesus. So then they move from Corinth and they move to Ephesus. And so Priscilla and Quilla follow him. Once they get to Ephesus, they have another house church in Ephesus. And then they eventually move back to Rome. And now they're back in Rome and they have a house church back in Rome as husband and wife. And so she even helps teach and correct Apollos when they are in Ephesus. And here I want to go to this scripture. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Remember, they went to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Quilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more clearly, or more adequately, I should say. Special note here. If Priscilla could not teach a man, why was she allowed to be a part of correcting Apollos and teach him the way of God more accurately? Here's where the word gets really, there's a lot of controversy because there's some scriptures about women not taking authority over a man. Obviously, Priscilla and Aquila teach a man more clearly the adequate way of the Lord. And Apollos responds, and Apollos is a powerful man that God uses for the gospel. Another note about Priscilla here, I'm not trying to just build a case for women in ministry right now. I, I want to acknowledge because we allow women to minister here. Are you glad we do that? I know there's a lot of churches that don't allow that. Every time that Paul addresses a Priscilla and Aquila, the first two times after he meets them in Corinth, he says Aquila and Priscilla. Only the first two times. Something notably changes because from there on out, every time Paul refers to them, it's Priscilla and Aquila. There, and I'm not trying to make more of a point of it, but it's obvious her, her role had changed. There was something Paul was doing with Priscilla in this, the reaching of the gospel, the house church and everything. God was not showing favoritism and God was not a God of discrimination. Amen. There were other women, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. These women were leaders in the church in Rome. Yeah, try to say that three times fast. They were probably deacons as well. 
We don't know that for sure, but Paul said they had worked hard in the Lord. And then there was Julia, and she was part of a house church. And so there's all these women. But the point that I want to make is there is no discrimination in the mission. Paul has no bias towards women, no bias towards slaves, no bias from ethnic groups. All are part of the mission of evangelism. And why am I saying this? Why do you think that's important? I'm telling you what, there is schisms within the body of Christ where we just don't, we, 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 we have bias towards certain groups. Paul and Jesus did not have a bias towards these groups. And we all need to be in part of the mission, and there is no discrimination in the church. Can I have an amen on that? So the Roman church, through Phoebe, who is called a deacon, takes this ministry letter. And I, and I, I wanna, I, I'm going to make this point just a little further. Because I, I just want you to think about the culture. Because part of understanding the word of God is doing the e explain part of your here journal where you got to get into the world of what was going on at the time. So if you think about the Greco, the Greco-Roman culture of that day, and you think about how men are, men, what's the term? Men are far superior in this culture. Women are classified as what? Property. Women aren't allowed to even testify in court in this culture. I mean, if you look at the culture back then, women were subservient to, to men. And if, if, if a woman was in public, she had to cover her head. She could not be seen talking to a man. Remember what Jesus went to because they got so mad at Jesus when he would talk to women? Did you, did you ever notice that in the New Testament? So you're thinking about the culture. And so if you think about the culture where women were not allowed to really have a voice, they were not allowed to talk to a man, and now Paul is sending the letter to the Roman church by what? A woman? Does that seem weird to anybody? Do you think it seemed weird to them? Why do you think Paul said, I commend her to you? Please accept her. He knew there was a chance that she would be rejected. Just a point that I found. So Paul greets and praises eight women. There are four freed slaves in this group. And there are many noblemen all in this group. There were Asians in this group. Asians from Asia Minor. Not in, you might not think is, um, yeah, we won't go there. Paul is treating men, women, slaves, and noblemen all as family and fellow workers in Christ's mission. And so there's no discrimination in the mission. So the good news is if you're a woman, if you're learned or unlearned, if you're highly educated or not highly educated, if you are, have any differences or anything uh, where you think you're inadequate or you don't measure up, guess what? You measure up. There's nothing that here that will disqualify you for the mission other than you not being born again. Are you guys with me? Okay. So let's move on to some more people. Those are just the men. And I, I, I touched on a little bit of the slaves. Now, look at all these other wonderful names. Not even, I put them up there for a reason. Not even going to try. Now, here's where I'm going to Go with this. 
according to church tradition, I realize church tradition is not the Bible. Everybody hear me say, this is not Bible. Okay? You hear me say this. This is not Bible. Because, but there is, there is a lot of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? There is a lot to be said for this, and I'm going to explain it. I'll just get into it. According to church tradition, seven, the, 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 these, these men that are listed here, according to church tradition, were probably part of the 72 disciples that Jesus anointed and sent out two by two in Luke 10, probably. So let me look at this. In Luke 10, 1 through 9, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If, any, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever you give, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat with what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come to you. And in verse 17, they were so excited, the 72 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Everybody say praise the Lord for that. Luke does not tell us who these 72 people are. But as I said, in church tradition that has been passed down, there is a book that was, that was there is a book, a documented book by Hippolytus. Everybody say Hippolytus. One of those documents passed down was found in 1854 in a Greek Orthodox monastery on Mount Athos, which is an island off Greece. I was going to show it to you. But there is this island off the south side of East that is just a monastery of monasteries. It's a high part. Where, and, and, and so a lot of what I'm going to share from you, our church history has really come out of the Catholic Church. Okay? You guys realize that, right? And so Hippolytus was a his, theologian, and he was a historian, and he was one of the known historians in the second century. And so he also died a martyr himself. Now, I could go into church tradition says that John, the Apostle John, who died on the island of Patmos, actually discipled uh, Polycarp. Polycarp then discipled uh, Arrhenius, and then Arrhenius uh, discipled Hippolytus. Boy, these names are tough, aren't they? You're asking where are they going with this. But... In this document that Hippolytus, who lived from 170 A.D. to 235 A.D., he made a list of all the 72 disciples, and here is part of the list. And these part of these guys are on our list. Eponetus was the bishop or the overseer of Carthage. Andronicus was the overseer of Pannonia. Amphilius was the overseer of Odysseus Church. Urban was the overseer of Macedonia. These names are in. Now, here's what I'm saying. I cannot prove to you that this 
historian, Hippolytus, was accurate in it. He has a lintage that has come from being discipled from the Apostle Paul. This is documented. You can actually go online and look at that. There are 72 names that are listed. I just pulled a section of that. But if this is true, I'm just, I'm, I'm, this is, if this is true, 18 of the 27 people that are on this list that I'm talking about were actually the 72 disciples. They were elders and overseers over house churches in the region. And so what does this mean? Why do you think this is so important? If 18 of the disciples that Jesus appointed, who had been filled with the Holy Spirit and power in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, and now they're all in Rome, or 18 of them are in Rome together, and Paul is addressing them in a letter, and he knows they are all there because he, was a re- he has a relationship with them, I propose to you that they have been sent there on mission to evangelize Rome. My proposal is God in his providence, uh, he set aside 72 and those apostles, those disciples were being sent all throughout the Mediterranean area and they were evangelizing. Their goal was to evangelize the world. And their focus at this point in time in Paul's letter, the focus for these people, these 18 and these other workers and these other deacons and these other people, I believe they have been sent there by Paul and the other apostles as a strategy to evangelize Rome. What do you guys think about that? My proposal. Can't exactly say and follow it, but what is our mission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To all creation, right? I say they have a strategy. I say point four is mission is possible because Paul and the apostles had a strategy that made the mission possible. Rome was part of their strategy. And this letter is what I feel confirms who he's writing to. These people are leaders in the church. And they've come from all over and they've migrated to Rome and they are going to take over Rome with the gospel. And you know what? It worked. I may be boring you with history, but do you realize within 200 years, Rome was now 50% evangelized? Actually, in 315, they actually legalized Christianity, and Christianity became the Roman religion. They were polytheists. They They were hostile to the gospel. But over time and over a strategy of evangelizing a reason, that's why we can't get discouraged that over 25 years that we haven't seen more progress. Over 200 years of faithfully in the mission, faithfully proclaiming the gospel in Rome, Rome turned to Christ. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Rome turned to Christ. History, among contemporary history, historians of the Roman world, there is a general consensus that all the time Christianity was, le- by the time Christianity was legalized in 315, approximately 10% at that time had been saved. But somewhere after that, between five and that was five and seven million people had been saved. The percentage of Christians in that empire then rose, and by the year 350, to about half of the population, or 60 to 70 million people, had come to know Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. Think about this. 60 to 70 million people over the course of 200 years coming to know Jesus Christ. Does that excite anybody? 
They had a mission strategy. Everybody say they had a mission strategy. And I believe that mission strategy was focused on Rome. And this letter, as Paul ends his letter, and he sends these greetings to these 27 people, I believe about 18 of those guys were part of the original disciples. Don't know for sure. I'm saying it's projector. I'm, I'm, I'm reading into the scripture, so bear with me. Don't, don't crucify me. I'm saying according to Eric and what I believe after I've studied it. But what does that mean? We are praying about an evangelism strategy here at New Covenant. We've gotten off mission. <laughs> and this, this, this book of Romans has just helped me so much to refocus my heart and my affection towards the Lord and towards his mission. And I know I shared this in the very first message of Romans. I shared a conviction that I had been so focused on raising up and maturing God's people that I was devoted to raising up God's people, but I was not devoted to the gospel. I was not devoted to evangelism. I was not devoted to reaching our city for Christ. I have been more about maturing the body of Christ. And by golly, at some point in time, you have enough knowledge that you got to get outside the four walls and you got to actually affect your city for Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I have an amen? amen? And Paul had a strategy to evangelize the world. And we have a responsibility for the city of Newcastle and this region. We, this house, has a responsibility not for us to just get all happy and all fired up, and then go back home and do business as usual. We're not here just to warm seats. We're not here to build a big church. We're here to build the church. And the church is people. Can I have an amen? Yes. The church is people. There is much to do to reach our community for Jesus Christ. And like Rome, we need leaders and co-workers here in this house dedicated relationally to the mission of evangelism and to winning this community for Christ. We have a mission responsibility. Can I have an amen? We have a mission responsibility. Can I have an amen? amen. Matthew 28, I remind us of our mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So as I review, are you relationally on mission with us? The mission is what unites us. We must be all in relationally and missionally. Number two, you've got to be a team player on mission. You are not on mission by yourself. Who are your friends that you are on mission with? We must love well and work well with others. There's no discrimination on mission. God has no bias on mission. God uses all, us all to evangelize our region. And the mission is possible with strategy. Paul had a strategy, and we must be a part of the strategy to reach the lost. Can I have an event on that? I don't know where you're at in your journey. I'm just now starting to go out. The first 
and third Saturday of the month. Really small commitment. I mean, really small. But it's doing something in Karen and I, isn't it, my love? Our mission strategy right now, we don't know what it is. But where we've started is we have started meeting with the house church on 15th Street, and we're going out with them. And there's probably anywhere from 5 to 10 that go out on Saturdays, and we go different places. I'd love for you to come if you want. Don't feel pressure to do that. I believe you're on mission when you're at work at the school or your work in your work environment. I believe you're on mission when you go to Walmart. I believe you're on mission everywhere you go, and I know God is changing. I've talked to many of you how you are changing your, uh, how you go into stores. You're creating more margins so that you see the people that you're around. Um, this last time that I went out, I met the cousin of Jesus, just so you guys know. It was a weird one at Walmart. No, I'm, tired, I'm serious. The guy thought he was the incarnation of Christ. Well, it was a wild one. Sam says, yeah, Sam left me too. I mean, Sam was on aisle five. <laughs> it's like, thanks for the spiritual backup, pal. And I knew I was dealing with a demonic spirit. I won't go into detail what I did. But I, I didn't uh, roll, roll on the floor with him. I didn't do that. But you just never know what you're going to run into as you go out and you minister to people. But no, I was talking to a buddy this week, and he's a security guard at, at the hospital in Anderson, and he had a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old boy that they could not restrain in the hospital. And he was angry. He was cussing at his mom. He was cussing at everybody. And if you don't think we have a problem in our culture, friends, the mental health and the mental issues of our nation need you. We need you on mission. That 10-year-old was lost, literally peed on my buddy. And would not be restrained because he didn't get a video game in Walmart. And there are a dime a dozen people are lost. And we've got to fit, we, we have got to be a part of reaching this community. And as Paul closes this letter, he says, send my greetings to my fellow workers. And he greets all these people that he has deep relational commitments with. And I want to have deep relational commitments to the people of this house as we go out and we reach this city for Jesus Christ. We've got to do it together or we won't do it. But the mission is possible. Amen. And I'm just asking you, will you allow God to begin to touch your heart? Will you begin to allow him to convict you about being on mission with us? I don't know where we're going to go, what strategy we're going to get, but there's some things stirring in our hearts and we're praying and we're asking God for wisdom and direction because I know there's more than just going out on the first and third Saturdays of the month. But that's where we started. And so if you want to join with us on part of that, great. Come on out and join with us. Amen. Amen. I know this is a heavy, heavy, heavy message. But they were relationally committed to the mission. They were team players 
of the mission. There was no discrimination in the mission. And, they had, and the mission had a strategy. And that's where we're going. And I pray that you'll be a part of it. Amen. Stand with me. This is your action plan for this week. As I said earlier, we are changing our reading, or not changing, we've, we're done with our reading plan, and this is the new reading plan starting in 1 Timothy. You may want to take a picture of that so that you remember to do this, but take 1 Timothy 1, see what scripture God highlights, and do a here journal on that scripture. Discuss your here journal with your family or discipleship group, and memorize 1 Corinthians 13. I love that we're memorizing 1 Corinthians 13. Does anybody know what, what it is? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's all about love. We have got to get love and caring for our people, for the people of this city. Amen. And then if you want to go out on our next outreach, it's May 7th. And come next Sunday, we have guest speakers, Erica and Marinda, our missionaries we support to Russia. Don't you like how it's missionaries? They're on mission. They are on mission everywhere they go. They are not just missionaries to Russia, but they are in a lot of Asia and a lot of other places, and they're going to update us next week on that as we're talking about mission and going globally with evangelism. Let's get back on mission, church. Amen? Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you, God, that you are speaking to us as a people about getting back on mission. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for mission drift. Forgive me for mission drift. Mm. Forgive me for laziness. Forgive me for being focused about uh, uh, just the church and not the lost. Mm. Anybody feel that one? <laughs> Ask the Lord what, he need, what, do you, what do you need to talk to the Lord about yourself? Maybe you need to ask the Lord to forgive you as well. Maybe you've been so focused on your own agenda that you have not been concerned about God's agenda. Maybe you just need to get serious with the Lord this morning and ask him to forgive you. I know I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of that. I've had to repent of even ministering by myself versus taking people with me and doing it with people. I've had to repent about being so focused on helping mature people that I've not even been concerned about the lost. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you are convicting us and that you're taking us on a journey. And I realize, God, that even this sabbatical that Tom is going on, Father, you're going to use this to really refocus our heart on you and your mission and get a new song in our hearts and get us back to the mission that you've called us to. So, Father, I just pray that you would move by your spirit in our hearts. I pray, God, that in our times at home, God, you would begin to deal with our hearts. That, God, even as the, the, the word came forth this morning about the hard, fallow ground, God, our hearts have been hard in certain areas. And I ask, God, that you would take the chisel plow and you would turn over the hardness of our heart. And, God, that you would turn over the soil of our heart so that, God, the water from the spirit may begin to nutrient our, our soil of our heart, God, that we might begin to get sensitive and concerned for the lost again. That, God, you would turn our hearts back towards the mission. That, God, we would get our eyes off of the hard parts and get our hearts onto the softness of your kindness towards those who need you. 
Oh God, turn the soil of my heart. God, break into my heart. Break into our hearts, God. And may we truly be a people on mission. For God, the mission is possible. Father, I thank you that the mission is possible. Father, we thank you for the city of Newcastle in this region. We thank you, God, that you are you're dealing with our hearts to, to be a part of the solution. We thank you, God, that you are going to t- send us in and bring mental health. You're going to bring in deliverance. You're going to bring ca- the captives that are in bondage, God. You're going to set them free. I thank you, God, that when we come to a demonic demoniac, God, you're going to empower us to, to rebuke the demon that's in them. I thank you, God, that you're going to heal the sick and raise the dead. I thank you, God, that you're going to give words of knowledge and words of wisdom, that you're going to speak things into people's lives, and God, you're going to move on their hearts. I thank you, God, for salvation springing up over this city. I thank you, God, for Malachi that got saved last week. God, we praise you for that, and I say, God, may he be the first fruit of many. May Malachi be a first fruit of many in this church, in this city. Father, we ask for a spirit of salvation to be released and And God, we pray for the workers, the workers, the workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that God, you would send workers, that God, you would move on workers' hearts to reach this city for you. So God, we thank you for that. And God, we just ask for your help in the coming weeks. And God, we love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. I know I went over a little bit. May you have a great week. May the Spirit of God be with you.